Hey there. Thanks for joining me today for another episode of Lymphedema Podcast. My name is Betty. I'm a certified lymphedema therapist, passionate lymphedema advocate, mother, and the voice behind Lymphedema Podcast. What began as a small passion project in 2019 to provide answers and explanations to people with the lymphatic disease lymphedema has now reached more than 75 countries. Whether you're a patient, caregiver, medical professional, or someone interested in lymphedema, there's an episode here for you. Every week this season, there will be a new episode to help you learn more and navigate better your journey ahead. I'm so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I made this podcast just for you. Disclaimer, if you feel you have lymphedema but have not been diagnosed, please see your medical professional as this podcast is not a replacement for a diagnosis in person, a treatment in person from your certified lymphedema therapist, or a substitution for your doctor's medical advice. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to today's episode of Lymphedema Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with me today for this great conversation. Joining me today as my guest is Ellen Fallhaber, and Ellen is a certified life coach, and she also has a connection to the lymphedema industry, and I think it's really interesting how I got to meet Ellen um, last summer at the Camp Watch Me session in Colorado. Ellen had been there. She had gone on, I think, a hike with us, and some other members from the Jopes team had come to join us. and. We are wrapping up, and I remember sitting out on this back patio of this cabin where we had kind of kept all of our supplies, and I was dead. I was so tired. I was, like, laid out flat. I think people were, like, spraying water on my face or something, and they're like, that Ellen lady who came to ha- came from Jokes was so nice, and she's she said something about the Enneagram, and I just perked up, and I was like, Ellen knew about the Enneagram? Yeah, because uh, usually at camp, I get to meet the families. And I briefly get to meet our reps, but I don't get to meet too many people and spend a lot of time getting to know them just because of running around. And I'm a huge Enneagram nerd. And I think I text you immediately and I was like, Ellen, are you still here? Can we talk about the Enneagram? <laughs> so Ellen, welcome Hi. to Lymphedema Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. What a great story. I know that was so exciting. You did. You you messaged me quickly after camp and I, I think I had just left. It wasn't that long. Um after camp was over. I think if I would have known when I met you, I would have literally been like, hi, my name is Betty. I'm an eight wing seven. How are you? <laughs> I just feel like that's what I do when I meet Enneagram people. Mm-hmm. It is. It's one of those things that once you understand the Enneagram, which we'll get into, I, I'm sure it's a little bit later, but um, it's sort of a, a helpful way to say like, this is who I am by saying one number, one wing. And it kind of helps to have a better, a better understanding of that person. Um, at least on the surface, obviously there's way much more than just a number and a type, but yeah, it is a pretty cool connection. I, I get perked up too. when I hear that someone knows the Enneagram because it's getting more popular, but there's still a lot of people that have never heard it before. or certainly can't say it or spell it. Um, but um, it is really exciting because I, I nerd out on it too. So I love that you do. So that's a really cool connection that we have. I can say it. I'm not sure I can spell it without like autocorrect, <laughs> but right. I'll try. That's fair. <laughs> now a break to recognize the sponsors that make Lymphedema Podcast possible. Eros Medical is a pneumatic compression treatment providing upper and lower extremity compression with more than 30 sizes and pump sleeves. Eros is sure to have a product to help you in against lymphedema. 
Pediatric Lymphedema Alliance is the first pediatric lymphedema garment kit and education resource. Play provides specifically curated kits for pediatric patients by age and stage of lymphedema. The eight-hour online course is a great starting point for new therapists or families who are interested in learning more about the fundamentals of pediatric lymphedema management. Juzo family-owned compression garments give you the freedom to make the most of every day. I do want to dive into your connection to the lymphedema industry before we dive into the purpose of the episode, which is really to encourage listeners, um, patients, and clinicians that there's help available for people living with lymphedema and living with feelings of depression, grief, anxiety, oftentimes they have suicidal ideations. So we are going to get into some deep stuff, uh, but can you maybe connect the dots for how you are in the lymphedema world? Absolutely. Yeah. It's um pretty cool how it all came together. So I, you mentioned earlier, Jopest, I do work for Essity, um, the, the company that uh, manufactures Jopest compression products. And I've been with the company for seven years. It'll be seven years in just a couple of weeks, actually. Um, I used to be a sales rep. I used to work in the field. Um, and then I became a medical advisor. So more of the specialty focus on lymphedema patients and lymphedema garments. Um, and I did that for a couple of years, um, covering various parts of the country, actually. Um, at one point, covering the entire center of the country. So that really the highlight of my experience in the lymphedema world. And now after having worked in the field, working with patients and therapists, um, an opportunity came up in marketing in my company and it really spoke to me. And um, that's where I am now. So I'm actually the um, product manager over all of the lymphology products for North America for Jopestesity. So let's jump into what a life coach is. Can you tell us more about what it is to be a life coach? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, to be a certified life coach, a good good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think some people are like, I'm a life coach. And it's like, mm -hmm. do you have any credentials? No, I have been alive and not (laughs) a life coach. Right. Right. Yeah. So there is that there's the, um, accreditation process, um, that is available for, for those who want to be a certified life coach. I am a certified life coach. I went through the training. Um, I got the accreditation and you are absolutely right. There are people out there that call themselves a life coach and they might be good. They might be extremely talented. Um, and that may or may not be what you're looking for. Um, but just to be fully transparent, um, there is not a sort of regulation on what you call yourself. If you want to call yourself a life coach, you can at this point. Um, so yes, so I'm a certified life coach. And so as a what I see as a good coach is someone who can identify um, any barriers that are in our client's way to achieving what they're looking to achieve. So if they have sort of a destination in mind or a goal in mind, or maybe they already recognize the obstacles that are in a way and they just can't seem to get past them, that's where I would come in, um, discussing it, looking at it, feeling into it and figuring out what it is that's holding them back. And then together, finding openings in those brick walls um, and going through them together. Um, I like that imagery of a brick wall and kind of going Mm -hmm. through it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I felt that myself. And that's another point in hopefully if you're looking for a coach, if you've ever thought about it, um, 
you know, you want to find somebody who has done the work personally. So it's not just learning about how to be a coach. It's actually doing your own personal work as the coach to have that um, capacity and competency to work with clients who are also doing the work. So you can only bring people um, as high as you've gone yourself or as deep as you've gone yourself, however you want to look at it, higher deep. But um, so, yeah, I've experienced that too, that brick wall effect. It's still there. You know, there's, there's always going to be some kind of blockage along the way. And that's just the process of life. You know, there's going to be a challenge somewhere in your life that's going to pop up and a new one's going to pop up and you just have to face it as they come. But a big part of working with a coach is um, having the, the ability to sort of see what's going on from a broader perspective and acknowledging what's there, the reality of what's there, accepting that, let's use this barrier, this brick wall as an example. So acknowledging that the brick wall is there. So if you didn't know it was there, you might be spinning with frustration and really just not happy and you don't know why. If you acknowledge the brick wall is there, you see it. You have to accept that it's there. Can't get around it if you if you don't accept that it's there. Um, and then allowing it to be present and then working through, okay, what is this brick wall? It Does this represent any childhood trauma? Does this represent um, self-doubt? Is this, um, am I afraid of success? Am I afraid of failure? Um, what is it? And those are just random examples, but identifying what that actually is. So number one, you're naming that there's a blockage here, allowing it to be there and accepting it to be there. And then finding ways that are within your ability to either get through the wall, use that wall as a redirect, find a different path, climb over the wall, whatever works for you. Everybody has different terminology as far as phrases and words that make sense to that person. So finding that communication that works um, in order to get to the next step. And how does seeing or working with a life coach differ from traditional psychotherapy that somebody might seek out? Okay, really good question. So to be very, very clear and straightforward, life coaching is not psychotherapy. It is right. not the same thing. If you meet, and I, I assume that's why you asked the question, but if anybody out there meets a, a life coach and they claim to be a therapist, that's when you really want to check in and say, show me your certifications, show me your accreditations, because it's, it's a vastly different um, category. Um, so you mentioned at the beginning that there's sort of the purpose of this episode today and touching on some of the challenges that um, the lymphedema patients might be facing with their diagnosis um, as it is a chronic um, condition. So things like uh, depression, anxiety, and you even mentioned su suicidal ideations. Um, so those can be really deep. Now there's various levels of anxiety. There's various levels of depression. Once you get into the suicidal ideation, that gets more into the psychotherapy realm. That gets to be out of the scope of a life coach. So the coaching paradigm is less invasive than psychotherapy. There's not an intention or an expectation that the coach is directive or responsible for the client's capacity to function in the world. Coaches, in my opinion, should not work with people who have some type of mental illness, but rather people who are mentally healthy and wanting to improve some aspect of their lives. So if there are issues of mental illness or 
Um, the client needs to go beyond the coach's scope of training or competence. The coach really should um, refer the client to psychotherapy. Can you, can somebody see them in tandem? Can you see a life coach while also seeking out? Okay. Because I feel as I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of people that I've met either through this journey or friends that I have currently um, who are in the lymphedema world too, who, you know, they may be on an antidepressant. They may occasionally have, you know, that periodical healthy therapy where you're checking in with your therapist or seeing them as needed. And so I'm wondering if that was something that that could go together so that people, if they're hearing this and they go, oh, well, I take an antidepressant, I must not be mentally healthy, but that wouldn't necessarily negate or um, disqualify them from participating with a life coach. Absolutely not. No. I mean, one of the clear differences um, is that psychotherapists must legally be licensed professionals. They are also legally permitted and allowed to um, diagnose a mental illness and prescribe medication. Coaches can't do that. Um, it absolutely can go hand in hand. If you, I mean, I, I work with clients who are taking antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, other medications, um, and it does go hand in hand. It would be wonderful if they knew about each other, hopefully, that the psychotherapist knows I'm also seeing a coach and it's, yeah. it's helping me to discuss these particular things. And then whatever topics are discussed in the therapy sessions may be the same. They may be different. They may have different um, tones to them, um, depending on what the the purpose is for those sessions. But yeah, they can absolutely go together. I I don't see them as contradictory. Um, Just understanding that the differences in the two capacities, I think, are, are really important. So when I meet with somebody, I would not say, oh, it sounds like you're uh, depressed? Have you thought about this medication? What do you, you know, that's not the the direction that we go. Um, In fact, actually a big part of my coaching is somatic communication. And I'll explain what that is because I know that might be a different term than what a lot of people are familiar with. So somatic referring to the body Mm -hmm. um, and how the body or every cell of our body has a um, unique and subtle communication system. So a really simple way that I like to describe it is looking at our intuition. And the intuition is coming from the body. It's that really soft and subtle sensation you get when you know you should do something or you shouldn't do something. You know, you, you um, we're familiar with that phrase. We've all done it. We're familiar with, oh, I should have done that. I knew I should have applied for that job. Or I knew I shouldn't have, um, I don't know, uh, purchased that car or something. It was a, it was a lemon. Why did I do that? You know, and your body's telling you these things, but we live in this rational world where we are sort of educated, taught, encouraged to, um, give rational thinking, um, to our actions. We have to defend ourselves. And if someone were to say, it just doesn't feel right for me in our world, that's very easy to, combat. It's very easy to fight and say, well, that's just silly. Here are all the facts. This should make sense to you. This should be right for you based on these things. And so I like to work with that somatic communication because it is my true belief and feeling that the body knows. The body knows the truth of where we should be going. And we can connect our rational thinking with our body's communication and have a, a middle ground meeting point. 
But if you're constantly dismissing what your body's trying to tell you, we're not really moving forward. So this is def- this is the first point I actually want to dive into for the listeners, the patients, the therapists who are living with chronic illness. And particularly in this episode, it's obviously lymphedema in this podcast world here. Mm-hmm. Um, that chronic illness, it really ebbs and flows and those effects can be felt in our body. And what might they be feeling in their body that they're ignoring? That is that somatic response to chronic illness and just the stressors that come with that. So if we're talking about the lymphedema patients, I can have empathy for a lymphedema patient, I can have patience and understanding, but I'm not a lymphedema patient. So I can't make that very clear cut response and say, oh, it feels like this for sure. Ways that it might come up right? Um, based on shared qualities with others, you know, like other humans might have these same responses, um, but it might come up in ways of tension in the body Um, It could show up as fatigue, which may or may not be um, related to lymphedema. So we have the fatigue coming from literally the weight of the lymphedema, but also the burden of the lymphedema. So there's that fatigue. Then there's the emotional fatigue that comes with having this chronic condition. Um, There's going to be various levels, especially for those patients who are still undiagnosed, don't even know that they have it, or maybe they think they know they have it, but their physician doesn't recognize that they have it or whatever the case is. So there's the undiagnosed patients. There's the newly diagnosed patients. There's even the patients who have known for years that they have it and going in their maintenance treatment, um, but still having ebbs and flows of flare-ups for lymphedema um, or any comorbidities that are showing up. So it's what I see is that sort of lack of control and not really knowing where it's going to go sometimes with the, with the condition, I'll call it that. Um, so how it might show up, like I mentioned, is that it could be tension, it could be fatigue, um, it could be headaches, you know? I mean, if you have a lot of um, stress, grief, um, disappointment, any of those sort of low vibrational feelings or emotions that can, that can cause some tension in the head and some headaches. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the list could go on and on and I don't want to act like I know exactly what the lymphedema patient would be feeling. I think that they, they probably are recognizing this, um, how it's showing up in their bodies. Um, for the for the therapist, actually, it could be quite similar to what they're feeling. So the therapist, um, they're in the position where they are hearing the stories. So the patients are telling them what's going on. They are likely expressing um, these challenges, and this is difficult, or um, I'm having a hard time with this, or I'm not motivated, or I don't get help at home, and and sharing all of that with the therapist. And the therapist is in this position where they're almost like a sponge for all of these other people's emotions coming in. And so now the therapist is holding on to um, that tension 
And so all of that coming in gets pocketed everywhere. As a therapist, I can say I felt mine in my upper shoulder. I felt physical tension in my upper shoulders in between my shoulder blades. Um, one, it's from the physical work of wrapping, holding um, heavier limbs. And that is part of the job and it's never bothered me. But I would notice that also in conversation as patients shared heavy things with me that I would go home and just the work was done. I was away from the patient, but I felt it here mm -hmm. very much. So in the back of my shoulder blades. So, um, and there are other things too, but as you're mentioning that tension and just like physically feeling it, that's, that's what I, I can recall from being in mm -hmm. the clinic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be anywhere in the body too. You know, if you lower back, it could be hips, it could be head, it could be neck, it could be upper back, just like you said, it could be heart <laughs> in your chest. So after just talking about how it manifests in the body, what are some ways that clinicians and patients can address the cycle and make changes so that they can improve their mental and their physical health? Yeah, so... I like this because it's um, action oriented. So that is one key thing, actually, just a real quick mention with coaching is that there's accountability and there's an engagement, a personal engagement in the process. And so what can be done is going to take some action. And so the first thing I would say is that it's small steps. So it's really important to have, going back to earlier, is to have that awareness of where you are. Where are you in this present moment? Identifying that, oh, I have tension in my upper back. You've got to start there, right? And so if you recognize that that's there and you're carrying that with you, the next thing is sort of taking that next small step forward. So, you know, it could be um, taking a walk. It could be sitting in a quiet room by yourself with your eyes closed and relaxing into the chair. Maybe it's three, four, five minutes. Um, you could um, pet, a, pet a pet, snuggle with a pet, pet a dog, um, hold your child, um, hug a friend. You know, even just taking a bath, taking a shower. And, and I'm mentioning these things that seem just like really sweet self-care things, which they are. And self-care is incredible. Highly recommend self-care. Um, but I'm mentioning these things because it's a way to connect with your body and also detach from that external pressure. So by giving yourself and honoring yourself enough to give you that time, um, that gives you the opportunity to sort of release. And so if we look at like our nervous system and the nervous system is responding to the stress of the day. So you hear about like those, um, stress hormones that are released when you're in a stressful mm -hmm. situation. And so if you're working with a, like multiple patients who have multiple challenges and, and then you drive through crazy traffic and you get, it's just things get busy and crazy and you get home. So all the cells of your body are tense and muscles are tense. And then you have these stress hormones that are going into your body and releasing and telling your body that it's not safe. You got You got to be prepared to fight or whatever the case is. And so what you then need to do 
is intentionally, consciously let it go. And the way to do that is to connect to your body or to connect to the na- to nature or to connect to something that makes you feel good. One of my favorite ways to do that, and I because I like to give action steps, much like you just said, is like, is it more of a guided breathing or like a paced breathing? That's one of my favorite ways to like in the moment, just stop and be like, okay, breaths by the four count or, you know, whatever it is yep. that, that day that I could do. So that's one of my favorite ways. Um, and I think it was actually a tip that you had taught me about um, in my mind. It's like, if I'm out walking, or if I'm just like sitting, if my breaths are even, I think about a square. And so it's the like same length. Yep. Or if I'm doing a rectangle, then my hold is longer and then my in and out is shorter, like a rectangle. So I think that's pretty cool. And maybe we can do one of those um, examples at the end of the episode or something. Yeah. So that's, that's called box breathing. Box breathing. Yeah. And I I learned it from the Marines, actually. They do box breathing for part of their training. And not that we need to raise any Marines. It doesn't have to be that intense, Um, but it's adaptable and you can do it in counts of two. Counts of three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You can modify, make, like you said, rectangles, different shapes. And yeah, what it is is just inhale for two, hold for two, exhale for two, hold for two. And it's just a way to bring consciousness, intentionality to the breath. We're always breathing, but we're not always consciously breathing and paying attention to it. And I love that you mentioned that. I love that you do that too. And um, that is a very easy way. It's a very easy, small step that anybody can do. Cause like I said, everyone's already breathing. All you have to do is bring attention to it. Yeah. You literally don't have to do anything. You don't have to walk away. You don't have to have any resource. You just mm-hmm. do what you've been doing all day. But instead of going, <sighs> just <laughs> actually breathe. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. Um, pause points throughout the day you can give yourself. And I think a lot of us have Apple watches and it gives you that sort of breathing mm-hmm. reminder. I turned mine off because I found that I kept re- ignoring it because I got used to it, but, um, which is the reality of the situation. <laughs> I do the same thing. I know. Uh, that's um, funny. But, but it is, there is something to it that it actually works. If you do it, you yeah. can't just say in your mind, Oh yeah, yeah, I know. I know that works. You have to have your body do it. And then you can feel the response in your nervous system. Isn't this conversation with Ellen about life coaching and approaches to focusing on self-care, self-acceptance, and self-love so interesting? I have so much more to share, so I am going to cut this episode into a two-part session. Come back next week for the rest of our conversation, as well as a guided meditation with Ellen to close out next week's episode. Mother Teresa says loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you enjoyed learning more about our topic today. Remember, if there's a topic you're looking for, the website has a full library of podcasts. Email me with your story if you would like to share lymphedemapodcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode.